You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers so that they they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went to appeal to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet you are told, make bricks. Yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with our own people. Pharaoh said, lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers uh, realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. What was that like for Moses and Aaron? to sit there and say, we're gonna do this thing in faith. We're gonna trust God. We're gonna trust the I am. We're gonna trust the God that can change a stick into a snake. He can change the, a, a hand that's disformed to turn a, a perfect hand. And then to go, wait, our own people are not on our sides. Was there a little doubt in their mind, I wonder? Was there a little bit of questioning and going, what are we supposed to do? And what happened was, is that they realized that there's a consequences to this faithfulness. They're punished, they don't get straw, they're beaten, and they're driven harder. And I wonder if this is worse, but they keep bringing it over and over again. They're called lazy. No matter what they do, they're called lazy. And so these people begin to question Moses, and they become, in fact, adversaries to their own leaders. The people are beginning to question Moses and Aaron's leadership of them. And this adversarial role that's taking place with Pharaoh creates inconvenience, and then the inconvenience creates doubts, and then that's what happens. It all begins to spiral. And if we look to our own thing that God is asking us to do in faith, we would see that that same formula takes place. We're gung-ho. We're gonna spend time every morning with God, but then we face the fact that our kids are sick. And so the inconvenience creates something that causes us to spiral and like, well, well, we'll get to it when we can. Or it's January 1st, we're gonna read through the Bible in a year. And then it's January 5th and we're already four days behind and so we're saying, well, next year, I cannot wait to read through the Bible in a year. We have these things where we wanna do something in faith, we wanna do something strong and then we, we meet this adversarial role and then it just creates doubt. And I began to think about the enemies to faithfulness. And so if I could give you, here's three kind of enemies that I see in in, in people's lives. And the first one is just this enemy of self. 
that we can be our own worst enemy. We just taught this last week at our church. We're going through the book of Romans. Paul, the apostle Paul, I mean, we herald him. His letters are in the, make up most of the, Old, the New Testament. And he says this, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Sometimes to faithfulness, we could be our own worst enemy. We could be the enemy of self because we're just trying hard and trying hard and trying. We think it's up to us, but what we have to do instead is not make it about us, but make it about our faithfulness to God and let him meet us where we're at. Because it's not about us, it's about God and what he can do for us. I see this right now in our church. I just wrote a big kind of State of the Union address to Westwind because people's heads are spinning by how many staff are going and leaving our church. And so they want to know, is our church okay? They're asking, is Westwind all right? And I said, every one of the people who've left our church have gone on to do something harder. I mean, you can understand if people are like, oh, it's easier, so I found this other job and I want to do this thing that's easier. But they all went to do something harder because they all stepped out in faith because they knew it wasn't about them, what they were bringing to the table, but what God was bringing to them. There's a second enemy out there, and this is this worldly enemy out there. Jesus even told the people who were closest to him in John chapter 15, verse 20, he says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they persecuted me, Jesus, because we, 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 we want to be, there's nothing that we could be more complimented by in our life to say, man, Brandon, he's Christ-like. Oh, my heart would swell. Probably not because if I was like Christ, I have to be humble. But I can't think of something more complimentary. That guy's like Christ. But if I really take that to the fullest extent, I need to know that the more I show the faith that I'm needed, the more adversary I'm going to face. Because I am going to be persecuted as Jesus was persecuted. So much so that Jesus says when he's talking into the Sermon on the Mount, it's great when you're persecuted for my name's sake. He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted. You know why? Because it means you're most acting like me. So my daughter, who is the only really Christian in her friendships, when she acts the most like Christ is when she gets the most adversary, uh, adversity taken uh, to her because they can't believe that she doesn't open her mind to worldly thinking. And so her enemies come in that way, and I have the same enemies. And so in a lot of ways, what we have to do now, this is why self-discipline and fasting of different things is so important not fasting for the fact that you want to uh, lose a couple of pounds, but we, fa we should fast because there should not be anything that we need more than God. I used to do a uh, youth ministry trip to Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota, and it was great. And man, in our country, to see a world that's like that, it seemed like a third world. And there's always these girls and they wanted to bring their super soft blankets and their super pillows that were just like perfect. Oh, because if you go on a retreat, girls need to bring their pillows and their blankets. And to be honest, I got a little ornery. And I said, when you need your pillow everywhere you go, how hard is it going to be for you to be a missionary in Tanzania? 
When you need that soft blanket everywhere you go, how hard is it going to be to be a Christian in China? Because you're going to see that I need the comforts around me in order to meet the faithfulness required. So then what I did is I gave them all five-gallon Rubbermaid tubs and said, whatever you can fit in that, you can bring. And it'd be, girls would be crying. I can't fit this pillow in this thing. Like, well, maybe you're not supposed to bring that pillow. Because some people in other countries, they can't even fill that five-gallon bucket with all the stuff that they own. We have this enemy, worldly adversary out there. And then, of course, we know that there is an evil one. Peter talks about this in his letter, 1 Peter 5, 8. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So if you're not your worst enemy and you're causing the adversary of your own faithfulness and the world itself isn't doing it, don't worry. There is someone out there who wants to destroy you. That's how Aaron and Moses felt. That they said, we just showed faith. We just wanted to do the right thing. And now it's all blowing up in our face. And we stepped out in faith. And now what we're finding instead is that our own people don't love us. And so I love the heart of Moses. So Moses returns to the Lord in verse 22 of chapter five. I love his heart in this. There's a beautiful thing that's taking place here. Moses returned to the Lord and he says, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? He's, he's going before the pains of his own people and he's saying, God, God, why have you done this? Is this why you sent me, dot, 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 to fail? Is this why you brought me here? To, to show that I'm not actually the person that's supposed to deliver them? That this is a farce? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people and he and you have not rescued your people at all. I just wanna stop and take a moment and tell you why I think this is so beautiful. God doesn't mind when we bring our hearts to him. Do you have trouble right now in your own personal life? Bring it to God. Don't, don't talk about God. Now, if it said Moses was talking to Aaron, why is God doing this? I kind of feel like there would be a, a new section that would say, and God smited Moses. Because he's not talking about God to someone else. He's saying, God, why are you doing this? God loves that. Psalms is filled with that when he's being asked, why, God, do you allow this? Why have you forsaken me? Because then what he gets to do as he writes it, he realizes, yeah, but, but it's your will be done. Yeah, but it's you who save. Yeah, you are my fortress. You are my strong tower. And so what I love about this is that Moses brings his true self. And it's like, God, what, what's going on? Why is this hard? And this is where God meets him, and this is why it's so beautiful. Starting in chapter six, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, He's not gonna say, who are you to ask me anything? Who are you? Are you kidding me? He says this, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. And I, if I were you and you have something, I would put that in there because all from now on to the rest of Exodus until Pharaoh, you know, his demise, it's Pharaoh trying to be God and God showing Pharaoh that he is God. There is a huge battle royale going on in the book of Exodus from the most powerful person on the planet and then the most powerful God. And so he's saying, now I'm gonna show you what I'm gonna do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. 
because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out by, uh, of his country. That he is going to do exactly what you asked him to do. And so he says this, God also says to Moses, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, but, my, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I, I, I didn't even give them what I'm going to give to you is what he's saying to Moses. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I will give it to you as possession. I am the Lord. Anytime you see that, when he starts with I am the Lord, and he ends with I am the Lord, that means you need to pay attention to those bookmarks. And so let me show you four things that are inside of these that I want you to pay attention to because they have to do with who we are. The first one is, notice the Lordship. He starts with, I am the Lord. And not I am the new Lord. He's saying, I'm the Lord of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you haven't gone through the book of Genesis, it's a beautiful book, but it's saying that I am a covenant maker and I'm a covenant keeper. Abraham had to go through kind of like this blood river he had to cut all these different animals and let their blood drip through this little thing and he had to step across it. And if to say, in the part of the covenant is, if I don't keep my bargain, then this is going to happen to me. But he wasn't allowed to do it. God is the one who walked across. Because he said, I will keep the covenant. I will even keep your end of the bargain. And he's saying, I am the Lord. I'm a covenant maker and I'm a covenant keeper. So why can you put your faithfulness in me in spite of adversity? Because I'm a covenant maker and I'm a covenant keeper. Then he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. He is a redeemer. The Israelites are God's people, not Pharaoh's. And so he's saying, you're not their possession anymore. Pharaoh thinks that you're his. He thinks that you're his property, that he can do with you whatever you want. You know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna redeem you. I am going to be the one who shows that you're my people, that you're not his. And God is going to claim them once again. Number three, he says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. There's this concept of adoption, that he's going to be their heavenly Father, that we're gonna, nothing has changed is what he's saying, that I am going to be your people. I'm gonna be your God and you will be my people. And then lastly, provider, I'm gonna bring you to the land that I swore with an uplifted hand, that I'm gonna bring you to the piece of property that I promised Abraham, that you are not going to be enslaved. Because guys, this is a, there's a geopolitical thing happening here in the book of, Egypt, uh, uh, in book of uh, Exodus, that there are slaves, and he's saying, the slaves that are being kind of mistreated, one day you're gonna be a nation. And you're not gonna be a property-less nation, you're gonna be a nation that has land. 
you are going to be what you've been promised, a great nation. Now, why is this so important? It's so important because each one of these things is offered to each one of you in the times of your adversity. No matter what you're going through in your adverse times, he is still Lord. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He's the God of Moses. He's the God of Micah. He's the God of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that he is God. And so when Jesus came and he says that he is Lord, that we get to put our trust in him, that he is actually God's payment for the covenant that he made back with Abraham. That Jesus is the redeemer, that he's the one who is there with the outstretched arm and that was on a cross that he redeemed. And the price wasn't some large sum that was paid by God to pay for the Israelites or for your life. The price was blood. Because only in blood can we have it paid because the wages of sin is death. And to pay for sin, something has to die. And so Jesus became our redeemer. And because of that, we get to be adopted. A beautiful verse in um, Romans that if we're you know, with Christ, that we are heirs to Christ, heirs to God, co-heirs with Christ, that we actually get to be God's children because of what Jesus did. And lastly, he's the provider. He's gonna bring us to a land. They're not only gonna be freed from land, they're gonna be given a kingdom. And guess what, guys? We get a kingdom. We get to be with the Lord. We get to have a heavenly presence with him. So when he says these things, this is what Brandon Barker needed to hear. Brandon, don't worry that the staff turnover is going, going to kind of cause a lot of strife inside your church because people were, hey, Brandon, don't worry because over the last eight years, you've seen a lot of people come and go from your church because I would start to go, is this why you brought me here, Lord, to fail? And he said, don't you know I am Lord? Don't you know I keep my promises? Don't you know that I've redeemed you so that in the end, you get to be with me forever. So all I want you to do is show your faithfulness, Brandon. That's what you have to do. You be faithful and I'll be God. And when I get it backwards is when I'm like, no, I wanna worry. When worry is idolatry, I don't know if you know that, but worry when I start saying, well, how is this gonna happen? How is this gonna happen? That's like me trying to play the role of God. But Jesus changed it all. When he died on the cross and he rose from the grave, what he did is he created a path for me just to show my faithfulness and for God to do the rest. Now here's the hard part. Kind of a hard way to end it. He says this, look at verse nine. And we'll end on this, not a power note, but a truthful note. Moses reported to this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him. He reported what I just told you. Hey guys, he's the Lord. He's gonna deliver us. He's gonna do everything he said. They didn't listen to him because of the discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, go and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of this country. But Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with faltering lips? 
The discouragement of the people because of the adversity caused the discouragement of Moses. They doubted Moses. Moses doubted God. I know this is a hard note to leave on. Let's learn from it. Because what we already know is we know the rest of the story, that he is the God who delivers. He divides the water so they can walk on dry land. He's going to hold up this staff, and his side is going to win while the Amalekites lose. He's going to take this staff, and he's going to hit it against water, a rock, and water is going to come out because that's the kind of power and supplement that God does for his people. He's going to give them manna and quail every day, but they're going to complain. And so they're going to have to stay in the desert for 40 years. Let us learn from them. Let us show faith. Would you guys pray with me? I want you to think of that thing in your life that God is calling you to do in faith. And do you have more reason not to do it? Do you find yourself more like the Israelites complaining? Or instead, is this a chance for you to show your faithfulness to God? So here's what I know, that if we just take a moment all to ourselves and we speak frankly to God, he listens to us and he says, I am Lord. So just do that right now. Spend just 30 seconds saying, I'm afraid to take this leap of faith or I don't want to because I feel like I've lost my way. But no matter what it is, he hears you. God, I've been immature in thinking that if I step out in faith for you, that it will be smooth sailing. That is not the case. You've called me out of the boat. You said, walk on the water, and I've walked on water with you. And then I saw the storm and the waves, and I took my eyes off you. May we May Anthem Church, may Westwind Church, may the believers in this world today keep their eyes fixed on Jesus who will take them through the adverse times to glory with him forever and ever. Amen.